Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. If you have a Bible, um, we're going to be all over today, but we're going to start at Galatians 2.20. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that everyone in this room would be um, amazed, shocked, um, encouraged by your love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Pray that um, everyone would walk out of this room just much more aware of how much you love them and how much you have forgiven them if they place their faith in Jesus Christ. And we ask you would just do something very powerful this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning is the third message in our series, Who Are We? So if you remember, we were in the book of Mark for a while, answering the question, who is Jesus? And now we've transitioned to, um, in Christ, who are we? And today's message is going to focus on two words, two realities for anyone who has put their trust in Christ. And the two words are this. Who are we? You are loved and forgiven. Loved and forgiven. You are loved and you are forgiven. Now you might be thinking, well, I already know that. Well, we're going to do a little test to see if it, if it plays out in your life on a daily basis. Because there's a huge difference between taking a test answering a question, does God love me? Has God forgiven me when I've turned to Christ? We might both say yes to that. But on a daily basis, if you're anything like me, your thoughts, your feelings, your circumstances, they can begin to confuse you and disorient you and make you second guess if you truly are loved and forgiven. So, in your head, answer these questions. Do you replay specific sins of your past or present that you have committed over and over again in your head? Things you regret. You have a kind of a default replay. Do you live with a regular low-grade sense of guilt? Might not be high, but you just feel guilty. Do you interpret difficult life circumstances as punishment for specific sins that you have committed in your past? Do you feel the need to earn God's forgiveness? Do you vacillate? Do you go back and forth between self-righteousness and condemnation? When you're, you're hitting your checklist of what a Christian should be and should do, you feel really proud about that. And when you're not, you feel really condemned. And you don't really have a middle of a joyful, peaceful middle at all. Do you consistently lack the joy of your salvation? Do you have trouble believing that God hears and will respond to your prayers? Do you regularly put yourself on spiritual probation? Do you spend a lot of time with regret and looking in the rearview mirror of your life? Do you believe, on a positive end, that God has a significant plan and purpose for your life. 
I'm going to add one more. Do you feel even worse now that I ask you those questions? See, it's one thing to know that it's a true thing that every Christian is loved and forgiven. But my prayer, my hope, our desire as pastors for you is that you would experience the reality that you are loved and forgiven in Jesus Christ. All the questions I asked you, I have struggled with at some point in my Christian life. These are not unfamiliar things to me. And one of the verses that has helped me more than any has been, it's a small part of Galatians 2.20. And uh, I'll read it. The Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now here's the part that has really helped me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So he said, the life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul deeply experienced and believed that Jesus loved him and died for him. It was extremely personal. The Apostle Paul was responsible for the death of Christians before he became a Christian. He was a very guilty man before he came to Christ. So for him to say about Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me, it wasn't this high theological idea. It was a reality that motivated him to work hard for the Lord and to grow in obedience to the Lord, but he rested in love and forgiveness. My prayer for us is that you would experience Jesus' love and forgiveness in a fresh way today. I want you to picture an umbrella. So I have one for visual aid in case you don't know what an umbrella looks like. And if you're superstitious, Christians don't have to be superstitious. They're not, they're not real. So we can, we can stand um, under ladders. We can break, break mirrors. We can have black cats come across our path. Um, they're not real. And I'm from eastern Pennsylvania. Superstitions were not near as common as they are in this side of the state for some reason. So my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, she has a thousand of them. We can't sneeze in the car. We can't do a lot of stuff. But in Christ, we are free. So what's this umbrella for? Here's what I want you to picture. If you are a Christian, meaning you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are always under the umbrella of God's love and forgiveness. Always. You can never get outside of it. So if you have put your trust in Jesus, this umbrella, I want it to represent, if you looked up, you see the word loved and forgiven. That is your position. That is your reality. Every single day of your Christian life, no matter where you go in your life, if you go to work, if you go to a family reunion and it's uncomfortable and it's you said things you regret. You're still under the umbrella of love and forgiveness. If you go to the store, if a tragedy has come your way, you are still under the umbrella of being loved and forgiven. You can't get out of this umbrella if you are a Christian. Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. That is your reality. Always. As a Christian, you are loved and forgiven. 
And so this morning, I'm going to try to convince you from the Bible that that is your reality. So I want you to remember this visual. We're going to come back to it a little bit later. But no matter who you are, if you've turned to Christ, you are loved and forgiven. Keep that right there. So, first point. This is a very simple message. You are loved. In Christ, you are loved. You are loved in this most incredible, unconditional way. Let me remind you first from a very familiar Bible verse. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, God the Father, motivated by an incredible, unconditional love that we can't even get our minds around, so loved the world. The world there is humanity in its rebellion. All of us waving our angry fists at the Lord. God looked down upon fallen humanity, moved with love, sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. See, God is love, the Bible said, says. And if you are in Christ, you are loved. You are loved in a way that no human being could ever love you. It's this unbreakable, unconditional love that is a free gift for us and very costly for God the Father and God the Son. See, how do we know that God loves us? Here's the clearest demonstration of God's love. See, he has demonstrated his love towards us. Romans 5, 6 through 9 says this. For while we were weak, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ, that's Jesus' title, the Messiah, died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. For those who have sinned against God, who have done all kinds of wrong, all kinds of rebellious things, Jesus died for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. In other words, there's probably somebody in your life that you would be willing to die for. It's most likely a spouse or a close relative or a dear friend. Most of us, if not all of us, wouldn't die for a terrorist, for a, uh, um, someone who's done a wicked offense over and over again. We jump in front of a car to rescue a toddler, but not a murderer. See, Jesus died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by the wrath of God. If you wonder, does God love you? And you are in Christ, meaning you have put your faith in Jesus. The answer is a a loud, yes, he does love you. He has demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to live a perfect life and die in your place and experience the wrath that you deserve. See, it's an interesting relationship because when you come into the relationship with Jesus Christ, he did all the demonstrating of his love, the primary demonstration on the front end of the relationship. 
It's different than those of us who have been married for a while. I'm about to celebrate my 20th, our 20th um, wedding anniversary. Mary and I will be married 20 years, June 5th. Now, we loved each other when we got married, or we wouldn't have gotten married to one another. But in the last 20 years, Mary has demonstrated that love in a way that she hadn't prior to us being married. We have three kids. We've walked through all kinds of challenging life situations together. Um, I loved her then. She was a very close friend then, much more so now, 20 years later. Some of you have been married a lot longer, so you, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's been a consistent demonstration. Well, in many ways, God puts all his cards on the table on the front end of the relationship. This is how much I love you. I sent Jesus for you at the peak of your worst behaviors, at the peak of your unbelief, at the peak of your hatred for me and my word. I love you this much. As I was thinking about this message, I, I remembered um, a song that Mark Altrugi wrote in 1997. I, I first came to this church in 1997. Um, so this is when this song came out. And this song and the, the truth of this song has really helped me in this area of really being secure in Christ's love for me over the years. Not perfectly, but, but had a major impact on me. Um, what's the name of the song, Mark? I forget the name. I don't have the title down. I think it's I Look to the Cross, I believe. Um, but I have the words in front of me. Kind of crashed that one real quick. Um, so here, here's verse 1. It says, How do I know you love me? Singing to the Lord. I look around and see the sunshine, the rain, the wind, and the trees. So in other words, you can look at God's creation. Today's a beautiful day. We, we, in some ways, experience God's love and care. But then he writes, But should these gracious tokens all fade from my sight, I won't doubt your love. In other words, when life gets hard, when dark clouds come, when, when it is bleak with what you see with your eyes, I won't doubt your love. And now the course, he, he gives the answer for why why I won't doubt your love in, in the dark times? For I fix my eyes, I look to the cross where I most clearly see your awesome love displayed for me. For even when I was dead in sin, you died for me. Oh, I look to the cross. Then verse 2, he kind of teases us out some more. How do I know you love me? At times I'm so aware. I sense your Holy Spirit. I see you everywhere. So in Christianese, that would be the mountaintop experiences. You go to a conference, you're listening to worship music, things are going well, you just shared the gospel with somebody and they responded. I see you everywhere. But then we know that changes. But when I leave the mountain and your face has hid from my sight, I won't doubt your love. Some of you right now, currently, presently, if you're going by what you see, you're, you're, you're not believing that he really loves you, even though you're a Christian. Then he goes back to the course. For I fix my eyes. I look to the cross where I most clearly see your awesome love displayed for me. For even when I was dead in sin, you died for me. Oh, I look to the cross. 
See, the point of this song, this helped me. I was a Christian about a year, maybe a little bit longer, when I first heard this song, and truth similar to it. And I, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and there was challenges in my life and challenges in my extended family. And this was such a helpful thing that I will not judge God's love for me based on what I see or what my life circumstances are at the present moment. In 1998, I believe it was 1998, my mom and dad got a divorce after being married a little over 20 years. And it was, I think, if my memory's right, the first big test for me as a new Christian. So my little family world um, sort of blew apart. But because of songs like this and the truth in the song, it didn't rock my, does God love me? Does God care? Does God hear my prayers? Because I was secure that I knew that God had demonstrated his love for me by sending Jesus to live and die on the cross for my sins. So I could say with the Apostle Paul, Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me. You can say that this morning if you are a Christian. You must say that. Do not judge God's love based on what you see with your eyes. See, it, this is a reality that will be an anchor to you. It's that umbrella that I, I wonder, does he love me? Oh, he loves you so, 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 so much. So if you, one symptom of, of being unaware of God's love is that you lack joy. You, you don't have joy. You don't have the joy of your salvation. Scott Rising, a friend of mine, local pastor, preached here a few weeks ago, and one of the things he said in his message to all of you is that if you are a Christian, you are a walking, talking miracle. If you are a born-again Christian, God's Spirit is inside of you, you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a walking, talking miracle. You are not going to hell forever. I mean, think about that. The Bible is really clear. That we have all sinned against God, He is holy, and the right punishment for our sins is an eternity in hell. If you've trusted in Christ, that umbrella has come up, and all wrath, you're protected from it. It will never get to you if you are in Christ, because you are covered by the blood of Christ. You're covered by the love of Christ. That's a reason to be happy. That's a reason to be joyful. That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to worship even when life is hard. If you are under that umbrella, the end of your story, it ends well. I'm 100% sure that your story ends well. You will be with Jesus forever in eternity. No more sin, no more pain, no more struggle. Every tear will be wiped from your eyes. It will end well for you. Because you are loved, God himself delights over you. What was true for Israel that Zephaniah wrote about in the book of Zephaniah is true for you. And I want to persuade you. I, I pray the Holy Spirit would make this real to you. Zephaniah says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with gladness. 
He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. What is true for Israel is true for you. God rejoices over you with gladness. He rejoices over you with loud singing. I mean, think about it this way. Those of you who have children or grandchildren, I think it's even in some ways easier for grandparents um, to just enjoy the kids as they're, they're doing the things that their parents need to correct, but you don't. Um, there's a joy there. There's a delight there. They're not perfect. You know that. But you so love and enjoy them. Um, all of us who are parents, we've, we've done all kinds of things out of pure delight and enjoyment for our kids. This past week, I went to um, Altoona, to Mansion Park. It's a big stadium in Altoona for um, a track meet for both Isaac and Lily. Uh, it's in Altoona. You drive about an hour to get there. And um, I pretty much parked in State College to get to the, the track because it, it took a while. Um, but it struck me as I looked around, there are hundreds of parents from, let's say, east of State College through our area, all wearing their school gear, their school hat. Some had the names of their kids on their back. All really enjoying the celebration of their kids' athletic achievements. Why were they doing that? Were they doing that because their kids are going to the Olympics? No. They were doing that because it's their child. It's their son and their daughter. So we're all getting out of work early, driving. Um, the night ended for me around 12.30 um, a.m. as we picked the kids back up from, from the school and the, the bus got there. Now, do I always like that? I don't always like that, but underneath it all, is a joy. Like, I love seeing my kids run. My mom, this was very embarrassing, when I was also a runner in high school, she had this big pin of me <laughs> um, in my cross-country uniform that she wore all the time. Highly embarrassing. Um, it wasn't because I was the greatest runner in the world. It, it was because I was hers. I was her son. And she wanted everybody to know, this is my son. Um, I didn't really appreciate that at the time, and I'm not doing that to Isaac either. Um, but why do parents do that? Why do grandparents do it? Because you delight in your child. That's how the Lord sees you. He delights in you. He celebrates you. I mean, when you were saved, the Bible's very clear, the angels celebrated your spiritual birth. They rejoiced when you turned from your sins and put faith in Christ. The celebration never stopped. I mean, those of you who have grown children that are, your children are like my age. You still carry them in your hearts and minds. You still are very concerned and mindful of them. You still celebrate when there's things to be celebrated in their life. It doesn't stop. It's not like you leave the hospital really excited and then you just ah, forget them. I don't, I don't care about them anymore. No, you celebrate every milestone. And when they, they grieve, you grieve. When they suffer, you suffer. See, the Lord is like that, but in a perfect way. No grumbling, no complaining. He delights 
over you. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. See, the Lord knows that you are his. He saved you, and he's watching. Now, some of you think, when I say the word watching, you think of like a negative sense of watching. So if my son Adam, who's 11, was here, he's in Kids Cove right now. He loves Monsters, Inc. Uh, He does this way better than me, but the, the old lady who says, always watching, always watching. He does it so much better. Um... That's not how the Lord watches. No, he watches like you watch your toddler in a protective way, but in a joyful way. You want them to learn to walk and stumble. You want them to enjoy the ice cream cone. You want them to have a lollipop. You want them to open their Christmas gifts and birthday gifts because they're yours. You love them. You delight in them. God is always watching, and he's always ready for your voice. I mean, those of you who are moms or dads or grandparents, that baby's voice is right on cue, you, you can hear your own child's voice. You can hear the distinct sound of your baby's cry. If all the kids are playing outside after church and one gets hurt and they start screaming or yelling or crying and you're outside and one of that, that cry belongs to you, you know that right away. The Lord knows the cry, knows the sound of each of his kids. When you call to him, he is attentive. He's not like us. He can hear us all at the same time somehow. He can respond to all of us at the same time. See, if you're secure in this love and forgiveness that we're talking about, then you will boldly pray to him. Prayer will be a natural response. Just like those of you who have toddlers or teenagers, they'll ask. If they're confident in your love and your ability to help them, they're going to ask. They're going to ask often. They're going to ask boldly. Now, you might not always be able to say yes, but if your heart is for them, many times you're going to say yes. Many times you're going to help them because they're yours. See, God's love should be shocking to us. It should have this transforming effect on us. Uh, I'm going to read a longer passage in Luke 7, and I want you to imagine it as I read it. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, it's a prostitute, woman who had given her body away, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, the religious leader who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered 
and said to him, he's now going to correct the religious guy. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. He's going to tell a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. One owed a truckload of money, the other owed a bucket full. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them loves more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, so he's looking at the woman now. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from that time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this account. This is a true account. This woman had done many wrong things. She was guilty. She knew it. And Jesus forgave all of it. Every single sin that she had ever done washed away completely forgiven. And her response was love and affection for her Lord. The Apostle John writes this in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. We love because we first loved us. We, we should be the most loving people if we understand the love that we have received. So here's another test question. When you think about God, do you think of him first and foremost as a holy judge or as a loving father? What comes to mind when you go to pray? Holy judge, loving father. He is a holy judge, but if you are in Christ, he is your loving father. You're never going to be in the, in the judge room again. It changed the moment you trusted in Christ. Let me read another parable. This is the second point. In Christ you are forgiven. So we are loved and we are forgiven. And these two are so intertwined. Another scene, true scene that happened. Picture this. Early in the morning he came into the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said, Teacher! This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And they start flipping through the Old Testament. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We don't know what he was writing. Some people speculate that he was writing the Ten Commandments as he wrote in the ground. We don't, we don't know. But verse 7, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, so to the crowd that wanted to throw stones at this woman and bring her to her death because of her sin, 
He said this, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So if you're sinless, grab that stone and start chucking. Once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. And I'm sure very quietly. Beginning with the older ones, probably the wiser ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. So she had faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. There's a lot of important truths in this account with this woman. One is it's a reality God is a holy judge. It's a true thing. It's also a reality that every human being has sinned against this holy judge. That was his point. If you're sinless, grab the stone. Start chucking it. But his point was no, no one's done that. Most importantly, in Christ there is forgiveness for every sinner and every sin. Every. It, it's true across the board. Some of you have this one or two nagging things that you've done that just haunt you that hang there, that torment you, that speak to you, that whisper at you, that just hound you. But you're a Christian. Christ has paid for that sin if you are in Him. He paid it all in full. Jesus suffered for that particular sin. Now, there can be a right regret and a sadness and a sorrow. But in Christ, there is never to be any condemnation. God, in the courtroom, put your name there. When you stood before him and you were guilty as charged, Jesus swapped places with you if you've turned to him. And the moment that happened, you went from guilty sinner to beloved and forgiven son or daughter. Once for all. And you are now in the family. Once for all. See, Paul said this in Romans. He said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, meaning declared righteous, by His grace as a gift. It's a free gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus bought us with His blood. He paid the debt that we could not pay. He paid for that very specific sin that haunts you. He paid for it. So you are now forgiven. Completely forgiven. Romans 8 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going to go back to our umbrella. Because you are forgiven, when you have these condemning thoughts as a Christian, and let's say they're they're like raindrops of ice that are just, or lava that are just searing you. If you are in Christ, this umbrella also says there is no, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is how you battle those sins and regrets of your past. You hide under Christ. You hide under the blood of Christ. You let Him absorb the wrath. He took your guilt 
and condemnation. So you are free. You are forgiven. And at times we've got to remind ourselves. We've got to talk to ourselves. Psalm 103 says this in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. This is why we love to sing to him. This is why we love to worship expressively. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's grace and mercy. He does not, does not, does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The woman who was of the city, who had committed many sins, she she got this. He does not treat me as my sins deserve. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So if you get this, you've been forgiven. This is not a license to keep sinning. It's a motivation to obedience, a motivation to service to the Lord. I mean, you think of the Apostle Paul when he said about Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul sacrificed his entire adult life, suffered greatly for Jesus because he was motivated by this love and forgiveness. So are you replaying specific sins of your past or present over and over again in your head? You need to deal with that with the truth of God's Word. Do you live with a regular low-grade sense of guilt? See, if Jesus paid for your sins in full, it is not His will that you feel guilty all the time. Some of us, and I would put myself in this group, have a more tender conscience than others. And so you can just get these nagging thoughts. You need to battle those nagging thoughts with the reality of Jesus. Do you interpret difficult life circumstances as punishment for specific sins that you have committed? Let me ask that again. Do you, have you interpreted your difficult life circumstances as punishment for specific sins of your past? Uh, Mark Altrogi was going through my notes, and he told me about a band from the 90s that I, I never heard of. I don't know how it happened, but the band is called Travis, and they had this song, and I, I listened to it um, this morning. had a line, in, and I think this is the title of the song, too. Why does it always rain on me? Why does it always rain on me, the guy was asking. Is it because I lied when I was 17? Why does it always rain on me? Is it because of my past? Is it because... I lied when I was 17? Is it because I did this particular act? See, we, it's so confusing, I think, but the freedom for everybody in Christ is owning your sin, is owning it. If you lied when you were 17, if you did far worse than that when you were 17, or 37, or 57, or 87, you own it in its full. You confess it. You forsake it, you turn from it, and you receive the forgiveness that Christ gives you. See, in Christ, you are loved and forgiven. The band can come up now. And as they come up, I want you to remember this illustration of the umbrella as you go through your week this week. 
If you are in Christ, you are loved and forgiven. And if you're not in Christ, you need to turn from your sins and trust in him. And as soon as you do, the umbrella comes up forever. You don't lose it. You can't drop it. You can't get out of your hand. You are covered once for all. Excuse me with my umbrella. Um, Let me just close with this Galatians passage. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's stand and pray. Holy Spirit, I ask, we ask, that you would impress this reality on everyone in this room. And there would be an overwhelming sense of joy and freedom and peace and a real outward focus to who you are and what you've done for them. And Lord, we will give you all the glory for that. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.